Proverbs, and I'd like it if you would to open your Bibles to that text. Proverbs chapter 1, I'll give you a moment to look that up. It will not be on the screen today, so I want you to dig into your scripture, or some of you are going to flip through your devices, that's fine too. But Proverbs chapter 1, I want to work through the first seven verses, sort of an introduction. It's the thesis statement for the book, and so we'll give some background to that. Hey, if you're a guest of ours, what an honor that you've chosen to worship in this place, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're thrilled that you're here. We have an opportunity at lunch this afternoon where we're just going to give some information about Meadowbrook. Some of the people that are going to be there are interested in membership. Others are just seeking the Lord on that, and maybe you fall in that mix. Even if you have not made a reservation with us, we would invite you to come up and have some lunch with us if you're thinking about the possibility of membership here at Meadowbrook or just seeking the Lord in His direction. We'll be at the conference center, which is the building uh, up on Rainbow Drive to the right as you're pulling out on Brookhaven. We'd love to have you to be participating in that. Now, Proverbs chapter 1, let's look at verse 1, and then we'll read through verse 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise and their riddles and I think this is the thesis statement fear the Lord the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction so now, Lord, as we have read your word, we pray that your spirit would teach us and by your grace, we would have receptive ears to hear it, eyes to see it. Impart your wisdom, I pray. We hear you, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a lot happening on the property here at Meadowbrook in preparation for the building that will soon begin to take shape and form but a lot of what's happening right now is sort of boring I don't mind telling you until they do all this scratching around in the ground and digging here and there and they hit three gas lines that we did not know where they were uh, so if you're in that part of the building on the upper part the oldest part of the buildings uh, there's no heat over there it's not that we have forgotten to pay the bill we don't have a way to get gas to the building where the heat can uh, work so all the staff are over there in their offices with space heaters and that kind of stuff when it's cool in the morning that's a small price to pay for what is to come I think we're gonna have a lot more inconvenience but at any rate it's sort of boring right now because I drive up and I think what are they doing today oh they're scratching dirt <laughs> they're moving dirt from one place to the other they're putting in drainage ditches they're putting in utility lines and all that but really that's a real important aspect of it isn't it I mean, if you don't get the foundation right the building itself is not going to be right so people are in construction they know that that they spend a lot of time and energy making sure the foundation and all that is subsurface is right we're going to spend some time and energy today on the foundation of Proverbs. And I think it's important that we do so. And if we understand the foundation of this book, then all the adages that come out of it, all the phrases and all the quips and all the, the principles that are spoken of, the proverbial statements, will make sense. If we don't have the foundation, we'll grab here and there 
and it won't make sense. So we're going to spend some time today on the foundation. I'm going to tell you out front, there's not any moment that I'm going to stomp on the stage. There's no pounding the pulpit today. It's a foundation kind of message. But hang with me, if you will, because it's going to really help us in the long run. Proverbs is not a book of ancient advice. It is not Solomon's dear Abbey of his day. It's way more than that. Proverbs is like any other book that has a lot of truth in it, the scripture itself. It's doing one thing. It is pointing us to Jesus Christ. It's what all the books of the Bible are doing. From Genesis to Revelation, every book in the Bible is pointing to Jesus. Some are pointing from a perspective from ancient history to the Lord Jesus, his first advent and then his second advent. Some are looking back from the New Testament to the point of his crucifixion and also looking towards the future of his glorious second coming. But in all directions, it's pointing to Jesus. Proverbs is a gospel-centric book. And if you don't recognize that it's a gospel-centric book, you're going to think of it's a book for living the good life. It's a book that is for prosperity. And it's much more than that. It's a book of the gospel. Now, the Bible helps us to understand this grand narrative of God that he has revealed to us. And of course, it begins in Genesis with very simple but profound words, in the beginning, God. You can't short sell that. That's a significant statement. In the beginning, God. Before anything was, God was already there. And this triune God, known in the Father, Son, and the Spirit, determines to bring about creation as you and I now live in it. And so the triune God is actively determining what creation will be. And as he determines it, he speaks it into existence. We know that God brings all things into existence and that God sustains all things. And this isn't just God and the Father that's doing this, but the Trinity is engaged in this. The Gospel of John says it this way, in the beginning was the Word. And he goes on to describe that it's from the Word that all things are created. The Word is Jesus, and all things are created by Him and for Him. Everything that's created came by His, His hand. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the deep, over the, the face of the deep. He is the, the, the wind of the creation. And so you have the triune God that is determining all things and bringing all things about in creation. And Genesis 1 and 2 tells us the day-by-day narrative, doesn't it? Just all six days of the creation event. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us about that. Let me just go back to that a little bit. We'll read it off the screens together. In Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, it should say. And God saw that it was good. And if you read on in that little text, it would describe the living creatures, both the beast and the livestock that God created on that sixth day, But then you have this crescendo of day six. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So God has determined something. He's bringing out a creation that is different than all other creation. This creation is brought about in his image. And he gives by his own declaration dominion over fish, 
of the seed, the birds of the heavens, and over livestock and over the earth, all those creeping things, everything that creeps on the earth, God gives this creation made in his image dominion over those things. Verse 27 is a significant verse in the Bible. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here's his command to us, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, the reason why I bring that out to you is because God has made mankind, humankind, in his image. And then he gave direction to us to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to have dominion over all things as we subdue the earth. In other words, the Lord has made us in his image and he has commissioned us in the power of his name to rule over all things that he has created. So he's created all things and then given us the management responsibility and the power to have dominion over all things. That's important for us to recognize that we are not God, that we are created by God and any dominion we have has been given to us by the declaration of God. We don't have dominion in and of ourselves. We don't have rule in and of ourselves. We don't even have power in and of ourselves. What we have is given to us by God. The power, the authority comes from his declaration. And in his declaration, he makes it so that we might be productive and we might have productivity out of that which he has created. So you and I can't create anything, but we can be productive with creation. And that's what God is demanding of us, requiring of us. So our ability to live and to manage and to accomplish is based on the word that God has declared over us. That's where our foundation is. What has God said to us? What has God said about us? And what is the power and the dominion that God has granted to us as his created? The creator has the opportunity to do that and he takes the opportunity. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says it this way, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now this is important because this rhythm is being established by God that we have authority, we have dominion based on the de declaration of God. And now God makes a declaration about you can have all the things in the garden. You can eat of all of the trees and of all of the seed and of all the vegetation. It's all for you, except for you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God did not give this rule as an arbitrary rule. It wasn't like God is going to say, I'm going to make one rule to see if they obey it. That's not what God is doing here. God is purposely commanding Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he was teaching humankind that we must be dependent upon him for knowledge, for understanding, and for wisdom. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That doesn't mean that he wasn't going to ever let us have knowledge. It doesn't mean that he wouldn't ever let us eat of that tree. 
but it would be by his declaration it would be as he is creator that he would determine what the creation would be what 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 would be good for the creation so determining what is good and what is evil is by the authority of the creator not the creation that's a big point for us that we don't have the opportunity to decide what is good and what is evil God does and only God now the reason why that's important is because that is a key ingredient to understanding Proverbs because Proverbs is going to help us to identify what is good and what is not good what is evil and what not is evil Proverbs is going to help us to understand what is wisdom and what is folly what is foolish what is unto life and what is unto death now you probably know the Genesis 3 narrative but I'll just go back to it to help you to remember now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made and he said to the woman did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die verse 4 but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she gave also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate now you and I know that narrative but let's just think about it for a minute just make sure we're getting the big point here the big point is that Eve has listened to the serpent, the cunning, crafty serpent, who said that eating the forbidden fruit is actually good. And then she hears that and determines in her own thoughts what is good and what is evil. And she determines in that moment what she believes to be right, rather than what the Creator told her was right. And she makes a determination that she can be like God by taking of that and having the knowledge of good and evil that only the Creator has. And she eats of it. And then she hands it to her husband and offering it to him. He too hears those words that have been spoken by the serpent and he makes an arbitrary decision as an arbiter of good and evil decides, I think this is good. And in that determination, he acts foolishly by eating of the fruit that God said, do not eat of it. Now, here's some notions that you and I need to focus in on. Adam and Eve have heard the voice of the enemy and determined with their own understanding what is right for them. They have taken then the position of the creator rather than the created. They were seeking wisdom apart from God and the Word of God. And that is what Proverbs says is foolish. Now think about this for a moment. The root of obedience is to hear the Word of God and respond in obedience to it. The root, though, is to hear God's instruction. Humankind is given a choice, and our choice is to trust the words of wisdom that God has given to us or discount or reject it and go in our own direction. And Proverbs is helping us to see there is a choice between the word of God and the word of folly. There's a choice between wisdom and foolishness. And in that, there's a choice of life or death. 
it's not that God did not want humanity to not have knowledge that he did not want humanity to, to have not have wisdom I can tell you that God wants the creation that is made in his image to have knowledge and to have wisdom but he wants us to have it by his own declaration by his own truth for he is truth he is wisdom he is the word everything else is a counterfeit so when we come to the word of God we receive it as being God's word and believe it to be right and true believe it to be wisdom and we say yes to it we receive it because we receive him and when we reject it we reject him that's what Adam and Eve were doing they had tried to become the one to weigh out what is good and evil determining in their own eyes with their own thoughts what was best for them when God told them wisely what was right so Adam and Eve needed to learn as all of us do that God gives the wisdom God's word is true and right and you and I need to know and hear and heed that word none of us including those in Genesis are independent from God we must have his word trust it and walk in it now if Adam and Eve had continued to live in the wisdom that God had given them by his instruction if they continued to stay away from that tree of knowledge of good and evil and not partake of it then they would have continued to live in the perfect rhythm that God had established in creation they were in rhythm with God in their relationship with him they were in rhythm with who they were made in his image they were in rhythm with each other relationally and they were in rhythm with the creation as God has put it in order but they didn't heed God's word in fact they rejected God and his word determining in their own eyes what was right and good and actually brought evil and the consequences of evil and the brokenness of their fellowship with God and the brokenness of their identity as being made in the image of God with the word of God and the brokenness that they have now with one another is evident and the brokenness of creation as well as creation is cursed as you remember in Genesis 3 where God comes and makes his judgment known to the to the serpent and makes his judgment known to mankind and even his judgment known against creation he also makes for them a promise the promise is for an offspring to come this taking of the tree what seems so simple to some actually proves to be not simple at all it's a rejection of God and it's a rejection of his word now throughout Proverbs when we read it in the coming weeks we're going to read it all the way through the beginning of the year when we read it it is constantly going to be a weighing out it's a very personal weighing it's not a weighing of what is wise and what is foolish it's not weighing out what is right and what is wrong it's weighing out what is of God and what is not and here's, here's what one of the, the uh, passages reads like in Proverbs chapter 8 I want you to hear it oftentimes the the proverbs are written in a personified way it's wisdom calling out to someone as if she has a voice it's wisdom saying come into this gate it's come into this house and that's the way this one is written and now O sons listen to me blessed are those who keep my ways hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates waiting beside my doors 
For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who does, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You hear the difference there? Wisdom is being offered as God was offering to Adam and Eve the wise truth to stay away from that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And if they will receive that word, walk towards it like it's a gate, walk to it like it's a door, if they will walk in that truth, then they will prosper. But if they reject it, then they will die. And that's ultimately what they've done. They have proven in the end to hate God and love death. It's a foolish thing, isn't it? Proverbs 14, 12 says it this way, very simply. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So all throughout Proverbs, he is going to give us, the writer is going to give us the options. The option is here is God's word, here is God's truth, here is God's wisdom. Go towards that and you'll have life. Here is folly, here is the lie, here's the evil. Move towards that and you'll have death. It's constant. A decision that is being made. It's a pointing out of what is wise and what is foolish. Now let's just take this Genesis to Proverbs narrative and let's link it together with the grand story. As you know, Adam and Eve have determined that having wisdom apart from God was more appealing than obeying the word of God and that being like God was more attractive to them than being submissive to God and so they acted foolishly in their sin. And in response, God pronounced judgment. He judges the serpent, he judges mankind, and he judges creation. But in the midst of the judgment, he offers to them mercy. He says that there will be an offspring of woman who will crush the head of the serpent who introduced the lie to Eve and to Adam. Now that became the narrative of hope that there would be an offspring coming. In fact, if you read from Genesis and continue to read all the way through, you'll find that God begins to narrow down this offspring, this prophecy. He meets a man named Abram, and he says to Abram, I will bless the nations through you. Through your offspring will come a blessing to the nations. That's interesting because Abram didn't even have one offspring, much less the offspring who would be the redeemer of all mankind. Then, as you know, the narrative, the people of, of Abraham continue to grow throughout the generations. Abraham has a son named Isaac, and God pronounces the same promise to him, the covenant to him. And he has a son named Jacob, later called Israel. And he, as well, has God give him this, this covenant promise that there is a Redeemer coming, and it will be from their line. Then we have a real definitive time where Israel is brought into Egypt. It's a rescue of God, if you will, a redeeming place for them because there is a really difficult period of time, seven years of famine, and Israel is provided for by one of his sons there in Egypt, and they are blessed in that place. They stay there 400-plus years, as God said to Abraham they would. But while they're there, they are multiplying in great number, great population growing among the Israelites and the Pharaohs continued to rule and as the Pharaohs would come and go the people of Israel would rise in the, their populace to the point that one Pharaoh determined that if Israel 
sided with one of the enemies of Egypt that they could actually overthrow the Pharaoh and take the dynasty, take the kingdom. And so he determines to bring hardship upon them. And he brings them into slavery. He treats them incredibly difficult, thinking that that would suppress them. But as God would have it, the stronger he suppressed them, the more God multiplied the people. Their population continued to grow to the point that he really put pressure on them, attempting to execute babies and bring real hardship and calamity upon the people. And as you know, they cried out to God and God heard their cry. And God sent an agent of redemption, a man by the name of Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh with the word of God. And the word of God is always presented as that which is true and right. And if you follow it, it's wisdom. And if you reject it, it's foolish. The word of God for Pharaoh was, let my people go that they may serve me. Now he heard the word of God. Moses gave him that word. And he rejected it. He acted foolishly, didn't he? He rebelled against God. And there came a series of plagues that decimated Egypt and brought destruction even to the firstborn of the land. To finally, he relented and let the people go. And of course, they passed through the baptismal waters of the Red Sea. They had already had the shedding of blood, the innocent blood of the Lamb placed over them by faith. Now they're through the baptismal waters of the Red Sea and they're moving toward the land of promise. And if you remember, God says to Moses one day, come up to Mount Sinai. I want to meet with you. And there God gives him the word. It's the law of God. The people are around the base of the mountain. They've already been instructed, don't touch it, don't get near to it, lest you die. And they sense the presence of God. They see and hear the presence of God in all of its grandeur. And they are fearful. The fear of the Lord is brought into them. They recognize that this word that God has given to Moses is a word to be feared. Now, I've told you from the first chapter, verse 7 of Proverbs, the thesis is the fear of the Lord. This is the beginning of knowledge. This is where wisdom begins, the fear of the Lord. That goes all the way back to that point where the people of Israel heard the word of God being declared, His law being written out by his own finger on stone and they feared you know what that fear is it is an understanding that god's word is true and must be followed it must be submitted to it is right it is good and out of that reverence for god that awesome god that has given this word they obey now israel is given a choice God gives them the opportunity to walk in wisdom with his word or they can rebel and walk in rejection of his word which they choose foolishly to reject the word of God and they don't follow the commands of God and they go their own way. And of course, God brings discipline against them. Now let's skip over 400 years or so. David has taken the throne of this, as the second king of Israel. And if you remember, David is one of these men who feared the Lord, who understood God and his wisdom and wanted to pursue and follow after God. So he has made this, uh, God has made this covenant with David that he would be his and he would uh, establish an eternal throne for him. 
uh, which would ultimately come in Jesus. Let's pick up in 1 Kings chapter 2 there. At David's death, he instructs his son Solomon, who is going to take his throne. He says, I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Let me just pause here for a moment and say when David is about to die and his dynasty is meant to be carried over to his son which God promised him would happen. David says to his son who is chosen to take the throne he says to him, here's the most important thing that you know, that God has given word, and if you will follow that word, that's wisdom, and God will prosper you in that. In fact, he says, he will prosper you in all that you do and wherever you go, because you will be walking in his wisdom. Verse 4, that the Lord may establish his word and that he, may, that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way and walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David was reminding Solomon of this wise word that God had given to him. He says, be wise, Solomon. That is, pay attention to what is happening around you in your life. Pay attention to the word that God has given you, the instruction that God has given you, the knowledge that he has given to you in his word. Pay attention and do those things and God will prosper you. That's wisdom. But if you rebel against that, that's foolish. For God will not prosper you in that. Now Proverbs is written by Solomon who has a word for his son who he anticipates will take the throne, the, the dynasty throne when he is gone one day and that's what proverbs is all about that's the writing of that now if you've been reading along with us in our meadowbrook daily bible reading plan you've been reading through kings first and second kings as we're wrapping that up you remember in first kings uh, david has not just given instruction to solomon but solomon is asking of the lord certain things and in chapter two it says uh, in verse five at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Now, that's a pretty good question of God, isn't it? Just ask me something. I'll give it to you. God is favoring him. So ask what it is, and I will give to you that which you ask for. And Solomon said, Now, God, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and has given, have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Now, another time out. Sometimes we erroneously think that Solomon has always been wise. He's like this little toddler running around, spilling out... Uh, the pie equation or something that's not the way it was Solomon when he has the throne has a moment with God in this dream and God says ask and Solomon says hey if I'm just getting truthful with you God I'm just like a child I don't know my way around this throne stuff I, I can't figure out if I'm to go out or if I'm supposed to be coming in God I don't have an understanding of this 
So will you please just make me capable of serving you by serving these people with wisdom? Would you give me knowledge? And if you know the narrative, God says, oh yeah, I'll give you wisdom and I'll impart it to you. And because you didn't ask me for all the other stuff, I'm going to make you prosperous like nobody has ever been prosperous, nor will anybody ever be prosperous like you again. I'm going to make you to have knowledge and insight, and I'm going to bless you if you'll keep my words and keep my ways. And that's exactly what God does. He blesses him in unique ways. So the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon, the majority of it, for his son who he anticipates is going to take the throne one day, and he's saying to his son the same thing that Solomon's father said to him, make sure you're hearing the word of God and following the word of God. That's where wisdom is. Make sure that you're seeking him and following after him. He calls on his son to commit himself to this book of wisdom. And it's not just wisdom as quips or sayings or... or a, statements that are true it is no wisdom in the book because wisdom is a person walk with wisdom choose to live your life with wisdom now if you're thinking wisdom is knowledge if you're thinking wisdom is having your act together mentally or intellectually cognitively whatever if you're thinking that's what he's talking about you're on the wrong trail wisdom is jesus and Solomon is saying to his son, seek wisdom, seek the Lord, have a relationship with, with him. And he calls him wisdom. So the book is not written as principles for living. It's written to tell the reader, pursue a relationship with this person called wisdom. Know wisdom, talk to wisdom. Let wisdom talk to you. Let wisdom guide you. Heed wisdom wisdom is a person wisdom is not just principles so solomon warns his son as well there will be others who will be trying to vie for your attention there will be others who will try to speak louder than wisdom is speaking to you there'll be others who will try to gain your attention it's an adulterous woman it's a gang of peers who will call out to you in their rebel rousing ways it's folly herself the personification of the devil he's saying make sure you're listening to and walking with wisdom and not walking with anything else but wisdom so according to the bible foolishness is walking away from wisdom and wisdom is walking with jesus wisdom has a name and his name is Jesus Christ and folly has a name and his name is Satan in the book he's going to constantly refer us to those two things listen not to folly listen to wisdom walk not in folly walk with wisdom heed not folly heed wisdom so when we read the Proverbs and we come across subjects like anger or raising a family or living with or without debt or being envious or living a life that's healthy 
or warning against being lazy or warning against gossiping or living with wealth or a host of other subjects what he's doing is saying in the midst of those subjects are you listening to and walking with folly or are you listening to and walking with wisdom can we just make a pact right now with each other that when we come to those subjects we're not going to take those subjects on as if he is just giving us advice how to live our life well but that you and I are going to determine in the subject where we might have listened to the voice of folly and discounted the word of wisdom Jesus and it's evident in the midst of that so when we come face to face with anger we won't say oh yeah I'm going to stop being more angry we're going to say Jesus why am I not walking with you when I'm angry and when it comes to eating and drinking and we're provoked in those subjects you're not going to get ticked off at me the preacher who's talking about your eating and drinking you're going to say in my eating and drinking is Jesus evident or is folly evident is it evident that I'm listening to Jesus in wisdom regarding my drinking or regarding what I'm eating or regarding my wealth or regarding me raising my kids or living with my extended family in all those ways Proverbs is meant to help us to walk in Jesus rather than to walk in folly so he says over and over and over walk in the way of wisdom walk in the way of wisdom and when we hear that we need to hear Jesus saying I am the way I am the truth I am life and when we hear other statements like the book of wisdom will share with us we need to hear the words of the apostle Paul who says that Jesus Christ is wisdom just like he is righteousness and sanctification and when we're in awe of Solomon's words of wisdom like the queen of Sheba was in awe of him let's remember the Lord's words out of Matthew chapter 12 where he says there is one greater than Solomon here he was speaking of himself throughout this whole course of study through the book of Proverbs may we walk more closely with Jesus walking in wisdom so over the next few months as we make our study together may we seek wisdom the Lord Jesus choosing to run from foolishness and run to wisdom running away from the enemy of God running to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and may the Spirit of God help us in every one of those choices oh father I pray as we've now built a foundation for the book of Proverbs to understand its truths that you would help us to have great insight that you would draw us near to you I hear wisdom calling out to us calling us to a close walk with him calling us to resist that which is of the world to resist thinking about what is right and good in our own eyes and pursue the word of God with all of our heart with all of our mind with all of our strength and I pray in doing so Jesus would be highly glorified and exalted and we would live a life that's most prosperous that we might benefit those around us as well serving them as Christ serves help us Lord because we're in need of help we're like little children we don't know whether to go out or come in 
without your word of instruction, but with your word, God, you make us incredibly wise. So we pray for that wisdom in its fullness. In the name of King Jesus, I pray.